in the midst of doing all the things that I've been able to do this week, working on lessons and getting ready for camp meeting and evangelistic series in California, in the midst of all that, I said, Lord, what am I going to preach about this Sabbath? And uh, I thought about how life happens, the unexpected. In the middle of our service this morning, my wife received a phone call from my family in the Virgin Islands, my brother, who said they've just been upgraded from a tropical storm to a hurricane. And he said, we've already lost our banana tree. Pray for us. And um, it is the unexpected. We can't avoid it. We can't change it. We cannot alter it. And I've often said it is not what happens to you, but it is what happens in you that determines how you survive the unexpected. So this morning, we're going to take a journey together through the unexpected. Nothing that is unexpected by us is unknown by God. He sees all, knows all the end from the beginning. Nothing ever catches God on those what do I do now moments. So today we're going to look at this term, the unexpected, and in the middle of it, I hope we can see expect. Because when we get to expect the unexpected, God will give us the strength to endure. Bow your heads with me as I go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that the God who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. In the middle of a world that's so unpredictable to us, you have seen and have even told us what to expect. You said, see, I have told you this beforehand. So may we look away from the distractions to the God who will keep us. Speak to our hearts now through this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin with the words of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12, 5. I heard this scripture years ago, and it really impressed me. And I'd like to lay the foundation for the topic, The Unexpected. Jeremiah is living in the midst of a rebellious people. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you've got to really pray a whole lot because it's a tough book, only to be followed by Lamentations and then Ezekiel, where it is a continued chronicle of the rebellion of the people of God. And Jeremiah is continually shocked by what God brings to his attention, almost in an unexpected way. And so he, he pens these words under inspiration to ask, uh, to ask us the question of how we're going to deal with the unexpected when it arrives. He says to us, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, they made you tired, how then can you contend with horses? Then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the flood plain of the Jordan? Or as the King James Version says, 
How will you do when the Jordan rises? We are living in a day and age where the Jordan is rising. We are living in a world where God has foretold what's coming, and he wants us to trust his reliable word so that when what God sees comes, it doesn't catch us as the unexpected. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. What is he saying to God's people? If you would simply read God's word, what is unexpected to the world, as the servant of the Lord says, an overwhelming surprise, would not be unexpected or overwhelming to those of us who have been informed of the way the world is shaping, the unexpected, how you respond in the moments of the unexpected determines what happens next. It was 1995, 94-95, and 95, actually, when the man who raised me passed away. You've heard me tell the story about him on Father's Day, a very difficult story to tell. But I remember flying to New York where they were settling his estate, and it was that time of the year where the weather could change on you, and as I was in New York, my wife was in Florida. We had flown to Florida together. Then she stayed in Florida. Her mom and family were there, and I said, I'm going to go to New York just about a couple of days and come right back. And on my way back, my flight got canceled because it started to snow. Would I want to be stuck in New York or would I want to be in Florida? I didn't expect the snow. So here I am in the airport at JFK waiting for this snow to subside and it started backing up. You know what happens when the flights get canceled? People get irate. They get upset. They want their money back. They want to speak to the supervisor. They don't know how this could happen. And I thought to myself, I could not control the weather, so let me see what the flight and the ticket agents are going to do. Well, a few hours passed by. It was starting to get darker, and then the snow began to subside, but the ice trucks were out to melt the ice and the snow on the wings of the plane. And I, and I remember a flight attendant, not a flight attendant, but a ticket agent came up to me, and she said to me, as she walked up to me, I'm sitting in the gate, she said, you've been quite patient. We have one seat left in first class. Would you like that seat? <laughs> I said, you better believe it. <laughs> So here I am. Did, I paid for coach, but I ended up in the first class section of a Boeing 777. That's good luxury. And the delay, the unexpected, actually turned out to be a blessing. But I never forget what she said. She said, you've been quite patient. We have one seat left in first class. Would you like that seat? Now, if I was the guy that was complaining... I doubt very seriously that I would have been rewarded for the attitude that I had in the midst of the unexpected. So I say it again. It is not what happens to us, but what happens in us that determines the blessing or the curse of the unexpected. Sometimes God calls us to shine 
in unexpected circumstances. This week I called Frontier Internet. That phrase alone would make you want to cut your wrist. Because we live in southern Illinois where Frontier Internet is paramount to dial up old people. AOL. I thought to myself, I would rather go back to dial up than have two megabyte download in 2022. But I called them down and somebody answered the phone, a very pleasant lady, and I came to find out that she's calling from Colombia. So after the questions I had about my service, she said to me, you are one of the more pleasant customers today. And I thought, praise the Lord. And then the technician came on, and he said, because of all that you've been going through, we're going to put an expedited ticket. Your earliest appointment is till the, not the, till the 27th of September. Earliest. But for you, we're going to expedite it. And I thought, if I was the most irate customer of the day, would that have happened? Once again, it is not what happens to us, but what happens in us that determine whether or not the expected or the unexpected can be a blessing or a curse. Jeremiah was called to be a godly man in the midst of a godless generation. And knowing the righteousness of God, Jeremiah, he tried to harmonize what he knows about God and what he sees taking place right in front of his eyes. Notice what he said in Jeremiah chapter 12. Notice the words that the Lord inspired him to write about this quandary of a moment, this unexpected moment. God, how can I be righteous in this kind of a setting? Jeremiah 12 verse 1 and 2. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Have you ever asked that question? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their heart. In other words, they talk a godly talk, but God is nowhere in their midst. Sometimes they begin the name of the Lord, but they end it in a dark way. Lord, what is it about them that they seem to prosper in the midst of this generation that they don't know you like I know you, but they seem to prosper? He's trying to mesh what he knows about God with what he sees. Then he continues his frustrations in verses 3 and 4 of Jeremiah 12. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me, and you have tested my heart toward you. And then he asks for God's vindication. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? And then he says, Lord, what I'm seeing doesn't make any sense. And he goes on in the next word with the following statement. 
The beast and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end. In other words, God is not going to do anything about it. When my wife and I read through the book of Jeremiah, oh, it was a, it was a challenging task. It was a challenging journey because you see God's kindness. God is so wonderful that when God sees us rebel, what was so beautiful about that, God would show them their ways and then he would say, but if you would repent, I would bless you. If you would simply do right, all of the promises that I've made to prosper your life will come to you. If you simply do right, then they turn and do right, Bob. And then in the next chapter, but they turn their backs on the Lord. And God said, but if you'd simply repent, I'd bless you. If you simply do right, all the blessings I plan for you will come your way. And they repent and they do wrong again. And the whole book of Jeremiah is this cadence of do wrong, do right, God patient, God blesses, do wrong, do right, God's patience, God's blessings. And Jeremiah, like many of us, when we look at the world around us, we wonder how does it appear as though who, those who don't know God are doing so well. Have you ever asked yourself that question? I have. Oh, yeah. I, I think I've used this story many times, but since you're a new crowd, I'll use it again. <laughs> I, re I remember as vividly as the finger before my face the day when Oprah Winfrey gave away all those free cars. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. And surely enough, I'm in southern Illinois. Why, why couldn't I be in northern Illinois today? where the Oprah Winfrey show was being held. Why couldn't I be in that crowd? Why, with my broken down vehicle, Jorge, do I have to watch a show like that and hear all these people that didn't put a dime forward, you get a car, you get... And I'm thinking, we're sitting at the edge of our bed because we didn't have a car. And why is that happening to folk that don't, in my estimate, serve God? What I love so much about that story is a few months later when I went to Maryland to be the singing evangelist and the person welcoming the on-air audience for Pastor Doug's Bachelor Series that he did at the General Conference. That first evening when I welcomed the audience, a lady came to me and said, when you stepped out on the stage, the Lord said to me, you see that young man? He's my servant. I want you to bless him. Long story short, three days later, I called my wife as that lady called me and put in my hand the keys of a brand new SUV. I think she, I think she went, <clears throat> not I think, but she went a step further than the Oprah. So I know those people that got their vehicles had to pay their insurance. But this lady that said God moved upon her heart to bless us with the very vehicle we prayed about, she said, I'll pay your insurance, your registration, any repairs, I'll take care of it. You just drive it and keep doing God's will. It's not what happens to you, but what happens in you that determines whether or not the unexpected becomes a curse or a blessing. What's so beautiful about God is God, let me just say this, and I want you to get this. God hears your prayer and God hears your thoughts. He knows our thoughts before we voice them. 
He says his word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So whatever we're facing, God is steps ahead of us. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, God is so far ahead of us. In, in frustrating moments, God is not saying, wait, wait up for me. God is like down here saying, and you have no clue what's around the corner, do you? So I fixed it so that you can survive. Praise God. He has dealt with moments in life to allow us to survive the worst that has come our way. But Jeremiah wasn't the only one that had to deal with the unexpected. David also was one that was upset about what he saw in a wicked and perverse generation. Let's go to Psalm 73. Go there with me. I'm going to try to condense it down, but I'm going to tell you there are moments that many of you feel this way. Either the loan got rejected, the car broke down, I know somebody, there was a kind of funny story. Just get a car, and before you even pay, make the first payment, you have an accident. Can we tell the story? Angela and Ian, they told us a story about how they just got a brand-new Ford F-150 pickup truck. On the way driving home, before they made the first payment, it got totaled. How does that happen? But they made it through. Had it been a... Pinto or Santa Maria, whatever, a lot of those little tiny unsmart, smart cars. They wouldn't have made it. So you wonder sometimes, why does God appear to make life easier for people that just don't pray? And you face those frustrating moments. Psalm 73, verse 1 to 7. Let's look at this together. David is now, through Asa's prayer, pouring his heart out. Asa writes as Asaph, he's, 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 he's voicing his opinions in the book of Psalm. He said, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. If he stopped right there, this would have been a wonderful testimony. But he said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. I remember years ago, when I was living in California, you, you old people might remember his name, Reggie Jackson, the baseball player for the Oakland A's. Come on, old people, say amen. That's an old people amen right there, young folk hanging there. And so I remember when, the, when there was a terrible fire. You know it doesn't rain in California, but when it does rain, they have four seasons. They have mudslides, earthquakes, fire. There's a fourth one in there, drought. So... Reggie Jackson had like 21 vintage cars. And some tragedy hit in Oakland. There was a fire in the Oakland Hills, and many of his cars were destroyed in this fire. And I thought, why does a person need 21 cars? Now, some people could afford that. If you could afford it and that's your hobby, that's fine. But when you think of how much others can be helped 
living around you. I, my own belief is not that these persons are unworthy of that, but I think that it will do us better to help those who are less fortunate than to, as this Bible text says, they have more than heart could wish. So Asaph is saying, Lord, this is just not right. He's saying this just doesn't seem to be fair. And he's dealing with it. And when you get a chance, read through the whole thing, because Jeremiah and David are both suffering from this spiritual paralysis because they're looking in the wrong direction. They're missing the big picture. They are at this place of what I call temporary discontent because they're looking around them rather than looking above them. Make no mistake about it. When we are distracted by what's happening in Washington, and what's happening with the ships being stalled in the Pacific Ocean, and what's happening with the rising cost of food, every time, it's just two, and I, it's just two of us in our household, every time we go to the store to buy food, it's more than $100. And the prices just seem to be going up and up and up and up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then on the other side of that, the, the gas prices go down, then they go back up. And we ask ourselves the question, Lord, how is this going to pan out? And then we remember passages like this. And my God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Can God supply? Can God Go beyond the expectations of the dollar bill. Oh, yes, he can. Right now, England is going through a, 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 a major shift, political shift. All the dollar, all the money has to be made over. All the uniforms have to be made over. All the signs throughout England for the last 70 years that pointed to the last dynasty have to be changed. They said, the death of Queen Elizabeth, which is my wife's queen, she was born in England, the death of Queen Elizabeth, they said, the toll on, 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 the, on the United Kingdom is going to be in the billions of dollars. The, the police uniforms have to change. The signs have to change. So many changes. See, if a person, the money, even the dollar, all the money has to be reprinted with a new face, the king on it. And I'm sure that many of the things that were part of Queen Elizabeth may become vintage or collector's items. And yet we look at this and wonder how we're going to survive. And in the middle of all of that, England is facing the worst financial crisis in economy they've had in decades. How do you, how do you present this royal regalia of a memorial funeral parlor with dignitaries coming from all, all over the world and then the country able to shoulder all that expense. And my wife and I, looking at all that's happening, she says, if they do that for a queen, can you imagine what God is going to do for us? And the beauty of it is at his expense. You think that what you see in Great Britain is regalia and pomp and circumstance, you wait till the day the Lord says, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. Nobody can outdo the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I don't get distracted. I mean, I look at that in amazement. I'm, I'm amazed by it. 
But I think to myself, oh, but honey, don't get distracted. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are God's own special people. We have to look forward. We look forward to the coronation that no human dignitary, nor president, nor prelate, nor king or queen can ever, ever produce because we are children of royalty. You got to remember that when you have these moments because when you read the rest of it, I'm not going to take the time to do that now. When you read the rest of this sad letter by Asaph, Asaph was going from one to the next to the next to the next. In your Bible, look at verse 15. Let's look at that very, very carefully. And then I'm going to bring the last verses, the last two verses of this story on the screen. But look at verse, verse 15. Asaph, after complaining as much as he did, their cups are drained. They have more than they could ever imagine. And he says in verse 15, If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children when I thought of how to understand this. It was too painful for me. When he looked at all the prosperity around him, when he looked at all the things happening in the world around him, he said, he said I would never have thought I would sound this way. I would, nobody would ever say to me that, ASAP, aren't you a member of the Thompson Bell Church? Don't you know God? Why are you letting the world make you feel so down about God? And that's why he says, if somebody would have told me that I would have, speak, I would have spoken this way, I, I couldn't understand it. But then he says in the next verse, what doesn't make sense, God already has it figured out. It was too painful for me but look at Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until, see that word? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. God pulled the curtain back and said, Asaph, cut it out. Look at what I have in store for you. So my brothers and sisters, in this world today, don't look around, look up. Don't calculate the riches of man. Consider the unsearchable riches of God, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. We need grace to live in a world like this. That I should preach among the Gentiles the what? The what? The unsearchable riches of God, meaning if you were to line up, if you were to take all of God's credit cards and put them on the table. <laughs> I know you're thinking about that, right? Uh, could I ask, what is your credit limit, God? My credit limit? On which planet? Oh, which galaxy do you mean? Because my, my credit limit is the same in all galaxies. I own it all. I understand it's so deep you can't even think about that. God, astronomers say that there are billions of galaxies. Let me lean on this again. And we are the children of the man who owns it all. But if the small stuff is wearing you down, what are you going to do when the great trials come? If we can't keep up with the pace of life, 
that is coming to us in a peaceful environment, what are you going to do when the world turns against us? If a sarcastic remark or a snobby look stirs you up, what are you going to do when you are singled out for persecution? Unexpected moments. If you can't get along with your fellow employees, your family members, or even those that you fellowship with, what are you going to do when the forces of darkness are completely turned against you? The unexpected moments. Jeremiah the prophet paints a picture that challenges us to consider the unexpected. He presents a case, he says, ordinary men are expected to keep up with ordinary men, but how does God expect them to keep up with horses? It's easy to swim through a river when the water is low, but how are we going to handle the Jordan when it begins to rise in a torrent? Jeremiah is called to adjust to the unexpected. He calls it the vicissitudes of life, the variations, the fluctuations of life. Things happen that we cannot predict, but I say it again, it's not what happens to us, but what happens in us that determines whether the unexpected can be a curse or a blessing. I read this article called The Beauty of Life, Never Working Out the Way You Plan It and Embracing the Unexpected. Listen, it's beautiful. I'm going to read it verbatim. We can't plan our life out although most people certainly try. From the moment most of us enter school, we start thinking of how our lives will go. Listen carefully. What college we will go to, what job we will get, how many children we will have, when we will get married. It is an exhausting list of plans, checklists and goals over things we really have no control over, unless you live life so carefully that you hardly live at all. You see, it's the surprises, the changes, and the unexpected moments that mold our lives. Think about the things that happened to you that you could not anticipate and how it worked out for your good. It is the things we don't plan that alter our future and have a large hand in who we are to become. It is the bumps along the way, the unexpected potholes, and the strangers we pick up. It is the forks in the road, the unmarked road signs, and the wrong turns that lead us to where we ultimately end up. The difference is how we react to the unexpected. For those that fight the unexpected, life seems more like a battlefield than a playground of new opportunities. Fighting the unexpected only sets us up for a lifetime of challenges and frustrations. Here's why. If God allows it, there is some reason that's providential behind God's allowance. Any, I've learned as things come my way, I say, God could have stopped it, but why did he allow it? If he allows it, there's something far more providential than my human eyes can hold on. And as one pastor said to the lady complaining in his office of all the things she went through, he said, sister, keep on going through it. Don't stop. Keep on going through it. Don't stop. Because if you go through that tunnel, there's light on the other side. If God allows it, there's something providential about it. The unexpected enters sometimes through the unlocked windows in our lives. And those who learn to live and truly live know that the unexpected should not be fought but welcomed. 
The unexpected is inevitable, is it not? And how we meet it can determine who we become, where we end up, and even whom we meet. But it goes on. The unexpected is missing our flight and spending the day in the airport lounge talking to those who end up inviting us to their celebration. The unexpected is the time our train was delayed, so we take another train for two days, and we end up in a place we've never been before, and we love it. It's not getting into the college of our dreams, but getting into another one that you never considered, where you end up meeting your best friend for life. It is when we didn't get that job we wanted and spend the day sulking in a coffee shop, where we meet someone that offers us another one, and that job really changes everything. It is meeting the little girl whose father said he would never come to America. He said over his dead body, he died, she came to America, and now she's my wife. Amen. The unexpected moments of life. Because life is never going to work out exactly how we plan, the sooner we accept that, the sooner we will be prepared to face the unexpected. Why? The unexpected will sometimes take us to places we've never known, introduce us to friends we've never met, and bring new meaning to our lives in a way we could never, ever imagine. Jesus associates the most anticipated events in human history with the unexpected. Notice what he says in Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour, say it with me, you do not expect. That's the unexpected for the world, but it's the expected for us. He's saying, hold on through all the vicissitudes and variations and changes of life because there's an event that's ahead of you that none of those variations or unexpected events can ever cancel. It's coming, and I am coming. The events of the last days are crises, not because they don't harmonize with our expectations, but because they harmonize with God's projections. God is not caught off guard by what's happening in the world today. Amen. Nothing happening in society is causing God consternation. He knows it all. He sees it all. That's why he said in John 14, 29, look at this together with me. And now I've told you before it comes. I've told you how? Before it comes. That when it does come to pass... What's going to happen? You may believe. Yes, if you cannot see that prophecy is affirming that God is really in charge, then you have not had the right attitude toward what's taking place in our world today. Don't expect the world to become the playground for the righteous. It is not. It is a land of landmines and potholes for the righteous. It is a place where sadness comes without even prior notice. It is where death knocks on our door and takes from us that person that is nearest and dearest to our hearts. It is those moments that we bow our heads only to have it lifted by God remembering to point us in the direction of his promises. I've had those unexpected moments. I'm sure that many of you have had them. But don't allow the unexpected trouble of the last days to exceed what you think because everything that's happening today happens not according to man's expectation but according to God's prediction. Amen. 
You see what's happening today. I look at the news sometimes, and it's so sad when you, when you, when you look at just between this Sabbath and next Sabbath. Don't, don't anticipate what's going to be on the news because you're going to see things and hear things that you think are unimaginable. And then you ask the question, how long, Lord, do we got to put up with this? How much more of this sad news do we have to stomach? That's why Paul told his protege, Timothy, these words about the last days. He says, when they come, don't let them catch you unexpected. 2 Timothy 3.13, and this is so true. When we see the senseless killings, the violence in our world, the unexpected things. And he says to Timothy, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, we get disappointed because people don't meet our expectations. We get angry because people don't say things that we want them to say. We expect more from others than sometimes we expect from ourselves. And I'm learning that I often get in life what I send out. It's the, it's the principle, it's the reciprocating values of life. The Bible does say that life is reciprocal, does it not? Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you sow anger, you reap anger. If you sow hostility, you reap hostility. Whatever you send out, it is the law that cannot be changed. Whatever a person sows, that shall he also reap. So how do we survive the unexpected? Here's how we do it. We commit our ever-changing world to a constant God. What if God changed tomorrow? Nothing about God is going to change. That's why I love the words of the writer of Hebrews 13, verse 8. Can you say it with me? Can you say it with me together? Jesus Christ is the same how often? Yes. Yesterday, today, and forever. Not only the Testament of the New Testament, but the Old Testament, Malachi 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. I do not what? I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God is not a circumstantial God. He does not adjust his goals based on what takes place in life. When we have unreached goals, unfulfilled promises, and unmet expectations, we can turn to God and say, Lord, you saw this coming, so what is the alternative? What is the plan that you have in mind? And I've learned sometimes God's got to close the door on our expectations for us to get the better blessing. And when the, when the job interview doesn't go our way, we say, but God, I wanted that job. He said, but you don't know what's going to happen five months after you get that job. Yeah, very true story. Thank you, honey. Young lady went to work on one, the Monday morning of September 11th. Walked into her office and got fired on the spot. Amen. They said, take your stuff and clear your desk. She survived. Everybody else in her office that day perished in that tragedy. It was on the floor above where the plane hit. She got fired the moment she walked in. I'm sure that when she was going down that elevator... She said, this is horrible. I'm sure she felt terrible. But not to lament or not to add injury to, or insult to injury. I'm sure she didn't say, and I'm sure didn't, she didn't wish anything bad. Surely not what happened that day. But I can tell you what, 
Later in that day, she probably counted her blessings. Like the window cleaner that took an unscheduled vacation. He had so much vacation time, he decided, I'm not coming to work this week. And the, when he decided to take his vacation, he would have been on the outside of the building cleaning the windows when that tragedy happened. We met a flight attendant that day who in the line in Canada, when we were getting back on the plane, we saw this young lady in her United Airlines flight uh, regalian. We said, were you working today? She said, no. I took September 11th off, and my friend who took my place was on the plane that hit the World Trade Center. We said, where are you going? She says, I'm on my way home to see my parents, and when I see them, I'm going to break down in their arms. The unexpected moments of life. That's why we are told so carefully, when we see the unpredictable nature of life, don't try to put our security in the hand of a person who can't see around the corner. That's why Jesus said so beautifully to Psalmist, to the David Psalmist in Psalm 146, verses 3 and 5. He said to him, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. Why? His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day his plans perish. But happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, Amen. whose hope is in the Lord his God. Amen? Amen? Oh, yeah, people are powerful as long as they have God's breath in their lungs. But how quickly men that we perceive to be so powerful and so instrumental in changing the course of human history come down to nothing but a memory. When God withdraws his breath, one of the greatest distortions that sometimes confound the Christian is the idea that we should, as Christians, escape the trials of life. No, my friends. We don't escape the trials of life. God has never told us that difficulty would be eliminated from our life and our journey. But here's what he did say. Psalm 34, verse 18. The unexpected. The righteous cry out. Oh, yes. And the Lord hears and delivers them out of how much? All their troubles. Can I get a testament somewhere? You see, God did not deliver Daniel from the den, but God delivered him through the den. He, didn't, he did not deliver the, the, the Hebrews from the fire, but he delivered them when? In the fire. And my wife and I can tell you, after 39 years of marriage, God did not save us from difficulty, but God saved us through difficulty. Anybody else know that? Oh, yeah, you've had difficulty. That's why in Asia, in the Orient, and this is a scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes, is written in the context of the Orient where the, where the writer says, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. You don't see it coming, but you're so glad when it leaves. That's why one Bible writer said, it came to pass. Praise God for the last part. It came, but it passed. Even the worst storm has to subside one day. God did not save us from, but God saves us through. He continues in his words of encouragement. And why did God put this message on my heart? Because I've seen so many people losing focus in these days, looking for answers in men and things and political leaders and in the rising or falling 
prices of, of the world around us that's so unstable. We are living in a world that's like, it's like the entire world is floating on unstable seas and the men in leadership positions around the world are trying to right it only to be met by the tidal wave of the unexpected. And we try to blame it on this person or that person when in fact sin is instability all by itself. But God says, if you're righteous, you cry, I'll hear you. But not only that, and look at verse 19. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That is so true. But the Lord delivers him out of them all, and that is a fact. So if you feel far from God when trouble comes, there's a reason why. There's a reason why. You see, this feeling of disparity and this feeling of loneliness would not be so dark if there's something that you did that God put within your right to do. That's why I said it's not what happens to you, but what happens in you. You see, if you develop the inward attitude of the Christian, the outward would not be so bad. Case in point, Daniel in the lion's den. He probably said, Darrell, ooh, so that's what a lion feels like. <laughs> Oh, calm down, buddy. And the lion goes, and he lays his, his mane down and he says to Daniel, enjoy the pillow. <laughs> and they wake up in the morning and Daniel says, man, I tell you, that was a serious experience. When you know God, the most death-defying moment can become a moment of comfort for you. Because it's not what's happening outside of you, but it's what's happening where? Inside of you. And the devil tries his best to make it seem as though you can't survive that. But I've learned in this next passage what to do in preparation for these moments so that when they do come, I won't be left standing by myself trying to handle them. I won't be wondering where God is because I've done before they come what he told me to do when they come. Here it is in James 4 verse 8. If we do this before the difficulty come, we won't have to try to figure out where God is. He says, draw near to God. And what did he say? And he will draw near to you. So if we're drawing to God, if we're drawing near to God in our daily devotional life, I said to my wife the other day, I've been doing so many Bible lessons, so many evangelistic lessons. I mean, I'm just working, 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 working. And, you know, you could be doing the work of God, but being, you could starve to death. So I picked up my Bible as I got into bed, and I said, honey, I've been doing so much of God's work that I need, I need to read the Bible. <laughs> Because, you know, sometimes we could do God's work and it's, it's getting done, but we're like waitresses or cooks in a dynamic restaurant. We're making the food for everybody else and we're not eating ourselves. I felt so good. I said, tonight, I don't want to go to bed with the thoughts of what do I need to edit tomorrow? What do I need to change? What lesson I have left? I want to go to bed tonight with God speaking directly to me. So I took my Bible out, and I said, tonight I'm not going to read Ezekiel because he's still trying to straighten out the Israelites. I want to read something encouraging. 
And I read something that watered my soul. And then I turned the light off and we prayed and went to bed. And when I went to bed, I woke up calm and comfortable. You see, my brothers and sisters, the, the standards of life are there. We should do the basic things of our Christian walk, but don't leave the things that are necessary for our survival on the side of the road and then wonder where they are when you need them. When I go to bed at night, my daddy taught me, when you go to bed at night, check the doors. Papa taught me, check the doors. When you go to bed at night, know where your flashlight is. So when I go to bed at night, there are some nights as I lay my head down, I say to my wife, ah, I don't know where my flashlight is. Let me go get it. Because it's those moments that you never know when you're going to need it. I have my Bible within reach, my phone not far away, my wife right next to me, my flashlight there, and my Lord watching over me. And every night when we close our eyes, we say, Lord, protect the doors and windows of this house. And there are days when we drove down to Mary and forgot the garage door up, the door in the, to the house unlocked, and we come home and it's unlocked and everything is where it's supposed to be. And we say, whew, that was close. But maybe in eternity, we're going to see somebody walk up our driveway and see an angel say, not this house. Amen. I like to think that way because I don't think nothing happens. I don't think anything is coincidental when the blessing is involved. I don't think it just happens. I don't think we figured, well, you know, he, he probably saw the lights in front of our house. No, he saw an angel. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him and deliver them. Right? And the psalmist David makes it even more beautiful. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our what? Refuge and uh, strength. A very present help in what? Trouble. So how do we handle what we don't expect? How do we prepare for what we have not experienced? How do we endure what we are not familiar with? Three very quick points. Listen, we prepare for the major task by faithfully performing the minor ones. Secondly, we strengthen for the larger tests by, 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 by victorious experiences in the smaller ones. And the next one, we prepare for greater temptations by enduring the smaller temptations. But I heard this once, and it's kind of funny, but it fits here. One writer said, and I, I couldn't help but to include this, some people run from temptation, but they leave a forwarding address. Another one wrote and says, temptation often comes through a door that we have deliberately left open. So here are the days of the unexpected days. The furnace will stop working on the coldest day. The car will break down on the lonely dark road. Your only remaining house key breaks while you're in the pouring rain. Your ATM card will not work at the time of checkout. Come on. A dog will attack you while you're getting your evening walk. People, your loved ones, will die unexpectedly. Illness will occur unannounced. Cancer will grow undetected. Car accident will happen without warning. A husband will suddenly leave a wife after 25 years of marriage, or vice versa. Even church buildings might be destroyed by a tornado. 
and that heart-wrenching phone call will wake you up in the middle of the night, the unexpected. How do we handle that? Oh, I love the words by the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, what? Most miserable. But he didn't stop there. He said, don't look for all your hope down here. And then he adds, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9, some of my favorite passages. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side. Isn't that right? Yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Can I get an amen somewhere? Oh, yeah, we go through all that, but hey, whoo, that was close. God kept us. It could have been worse. God kept us. It could have been so much more terrible, but God kept us. Praise the Lord for the God moments in our lives. That's why I wrote this down years ago. The certainty of life are the uncertainties of life. The expectations of life are the unexpected things of life. That's why Paul says, he continues, praise God for a man who understands how life can change on the turn of a dime. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 and I want to invite our praise team to come up as I close. Look at these words. He says, when the unexpected things happen and the unpredictable moments, the untimed events, the things that just rock your boat or shake your foundation or call forth in you a faith that you have not yet fully developed. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And this passage, we will understand this passage better when we see Jesus. For our, say it together, light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So here's my question. If you only had two choices, a better life or a better resurrection, which one would you want? Remember that. When the worst of life comes your way, when the, when the difficulty comes your way that you can't handle because some people plan for a better life, but Christians plan for a better resurrection. And then my last two passages. After all that I've said, now, this makes sense. And I want us to read it together. Even my praise team up here. Let's say it together. Are we ready? Romans 8, 28. Let me hear you say it today. And we know all things. How many things? How many things? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So, Jeremiah, I understand. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Commit the unexpected to the God with whom nothing is unknown. Commit an unknown future to the God that you know.
And when it comes, there will be no need for a 911 phone call to God because you have been talking with him so frequently that he'll be right there with you. I got this. I got you covered. I'm with you. Can we say amen? amen. Let us pray. Let's stand and pray. Loving Father in heaven, oh, yes, it is unexpected. This week, so many unexpected things are going to happen, things that we just couldn't anticipate, things that will maybe horrify some of us, things that may wake us up, things that may say we've got to go to plan B. But for the child of God, these unexpected moments will be a time where God says, I know you have a lot of affliction, but I am going to deliver you out of them all. I know your outward man is perishing, but I'm going to renew your inward man. And even your light afflictions, which are but for a moment, I'm allowing them to work out a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory for you. And yes, the good, the bad, the high, the low, the broke, the high supplies, the political, the financial, the social, all these things for the Christian will work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. We praise you and we thank you that nothing catches your children off guard when their father has never left their side. In Jesus' name I pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.